Welcome to the Humanity Podcast. I'm Adam Williams. I often think of Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena, at least what's referred to as Man in the Arena. But I admit that it's etched most firmly in my brain by Brene Brown, rather than any penchant I have for memorizing presidential speeches. The renowned passage originally was part of a speech called Citizenship in a Republic that Roosevelt gave in 1910 in Paris soon after his second term as U.S. president. You'll probably recognize the passage. Here it is. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Brene gave her most famous TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability, a century after Roosevelt initially spoke those words. She published her book, Daring Greatly, in 2012, citing Roosevelt's speech. Both of those works, by Brene and, and many more, have resonated in the world, in multiple languages, endlessly. They've launched her into the hearts and souls of many millions, and the TED Talk has been viewed more than 60 million times now, just counting the number of views noted on the TED website. For me, I carry two persistent voices in my head on a daily basis. One is a critical, inhibiting voice that causes me to want to shrink and to not express myself truthfully and freely, The other voice comes through Brene Brown in the words of Teddy Roosevelt. Brene has said that she carries in her wallet a list of names of people whose opinions matter to her. I don't know how many names she has on her list. I think my list ought to be shorter than I let it be because I allow far too many to preemptively inhibit me. I think, what would they think of whatever, X, blank, this thing of the moment. My wife and two sons, that's all I need the list to be. They are the ones I have a fully honest rapport with. Other relationships are thorny with egos, superficial social niceties, and varying degrees of personal experiences, focused attention, empathy, interest, self-interest, self-confidence, self-honesty, knowledge of me or most likely lack of, and otherwise interfering baggage that color the relationship dynamics. I have learned that those who know your experience, for example, fellow creators, because they too are or have been in the arena that you occupy, and they have a strong measure of self-awareness and self-confidence, are empathetic with a compatriot in the struggle, whatever that struggle is. Those who lack empathy and don't know, run their mouths, they fade, fight, fix, and are presumptuously critical and dismissive, and it's either because their ego is injured by what they perceive as your successes and opportunities, and or they simply aren't there for you. To those who shun our surges of confidence and self-belief, our extraordinary and bloody efforts and strong hearts, I think they actually shun themselves, 
using us as their target by proxy and even as their weapon. That should make it easy to discern who is worthy of our attention, whose voices are worthy of consideration. Nonetheless, I hear the inhibiting critical voices in my head with every sentence I write, every podcast conversation I have, certainly every solo podcast um, essay or episode like this one, every work I create in every medium. It calls for ongoing effort simply to keep them at bay and resist their advances toward the uncontrollable seas, the emotions, the anxieties, and fears. I don't hear Renee or Teddy in my head in equal measure at all to balance the scales against those insecurities. As everything is and everything must be, this too is a practice. I often refer to practices. This is a practice. Hearing the voices that support us, embolden us, push us forward, and sometimes drag us into our own possibilities of being and otherwise cultivating self-confidence. I couldn't cite Roosevelt's passage by any stretch. When it does come to mind, again, via Brene's voice, it's often in that battle within my head, the counterweight to the imagined critic's voice, saying to myself and to that imagined critic, you are not here You are not in this arena. You don't know. You don't get to say. It's tiringly difficult to be a feeling expressive thinking creative being in this world. I was writing recently with a sort of grass is greener vision of how being a simpler, more binary black and white thinker who does not see and feel the gray would be a blissfully ignorant place to reside. But a satisfyingly strange thing happened a creative writing flow that I couldn't have conjured intentionally had I tried. I imagined having a dial on my brain, which would allow me to turn down the complexities of my highly intense, highly sensitive perceptions to a more tolerable level whenever I get tired of absorbing the world. The idea itself wasn't the strange part so much as a film adaptation of it, or actually not for just one movie, but two, flowed through me and through my pen, I wrote it down, in a story of a future society in which such technologies as those dials exist and are accessible, but only by the wealthy, who often use these dials and controls to minimize their empathy and feeling as they build their empires of greed and narcissism and reduce what surrounds them, uh, us as much as anything, to rubble. I'm not going to lay out the whole idea now. However, if Ron Howard or Steven Spielberg are interested in knowing the rest, they can hit me up. Maybe we can go have these on a blockbuster franchise in waiting. The thing is that I've never written fiction. I don't think I've ever created in filmmaking terms at all. Yet this concept came out whole cloth in my mind. And like I said, in two parts even. Parts for two feature-length films. Where the hero's journey and the story arc lead in the first film is the hero learning that it is, in fact, a worthy way of being to be a deeply feeling and expressive person, despite the daily struggles that that presents. The free flow of this writing and these ideas might well have been an epiphanous therapy session of sorts, a free association through which I recognized that the grass is not actually greener, even if I could choose what I'll call a numb and dumb approach to life, but feeling, thinking, expressing, vulnerability, being the human in the arena, risking heart and mind, caked with dirty sweat, dusty blood, 
it is a worthy way of being and seeing and feeling. And now, if only I had a dial to crank up on that, lock it in, break it off, and keep me feeling just that that big booming bass of you know stadium rocking soul and self belief. But it it just is a courageous practice we must endure and maintain to gird up and enter the arena every day, and with every act of voice and expression, and to avoid being one of those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. As Roosevelt said, the arena then is within my mind. It's the battle between the warrior voice, that's Brene and Teddy and at my best, most confident moments, and the weak and timid onlookers who would prefer that we not strive beyond the limitations, beyond our fears, the limitations that they perceive within their own spirits and minds. And so on we go. We must go, daring greatly those of us who are aware of these capacities within us, bloodied and victorious by the effort. Thanks for listening. I'm Adam Williams, and this is the Humanitu Podcast. You can read and listen to more at Humanitu.com. And we can connect on Instagram at Humanitu. Stay true, stay human.